Hi, I'm Ashley. I'm Emily. And I'm Lindsay. We're your hosts at Pineapple Pizza Podcast, where we cook up fresh and flavorful weekly specials of mythology, cryptozoology, and urban legends inspired by regions around the world. If you're craving history, world culture, strange and obscure stories, and a dash of inappropriate humor, join us for a bite every Sunday. You can find us on all major streaming platforms. Come for the laughs. Stay for the flavor. We are. We are. We are cultivate. 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 We are cultivate. Distractions Podcast, a weekly podcast where we chat true crime, conspiracy theories, paranormal stories, folklore, a little bit of this and a little bit of that to provide you and more than likely what the guy at the concession booth at your local movie theater would consider a weird distraction from everyday life. This week, we're joined by not one, not two, but three amazing guest hosts, and I'm so excited to have the lovely ladies from the Pineapple Pizza Podcast on for this episode. So I'm going to introduce one by one, that way you people listening can actually hear who's who and kind of get to know their voices. So first off, we have Emily from the former Drink Drunk Dead, lover of cryptozoology and the unknown. Emily, can you say hello to our fine listeners? It's a good thing you had me go first because otherwise I'd zone out and forget to say hi. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Excellent. Next, <laughs> next on our list, we have Ashley, who also co-hosts the Studying Scarlet podcast, which is a true crime podcast that you most definitely should be listening to. Uh, Ashley loves mythology and all things macabre. Ashley, can you say hello? Hi, guys. How's it going? <laughs> Perfect. And last but absolutely not least, we have Linz, who also co-hosts the Yield Crime Podcast, which once again, it's a true crime podcast and you should be listening to it. And Linz has a love on for urban legends and creepy stories. Linz, can you say hello? Hi. <laughs> Such a dork. <laughs> I can't help oh it. Oh my yeah. goodness, I love it. Yeah. I love it. So before we dive into this week's really depressing true crime case, <laughs> I want to give an opportunity for each of you to tell our listeners and me what you need a distraction from, as well as what Pineapple Pizza Podcast is all about. So why don't you tell us about the show first, and then we'll get into some distractions. How does that sound? Sounds good. I like it. Perfect. So I think, Emily, you were voluntold before we started recording that you were going to explain the show. So can you tell the weird little family we've got listening what Pineapple Pizza Podcast is all about? Sure. Yeah. So we are a weekly podcast and we cover mythology, cryptozoology, and urban legends. Every week is something different. Each one of us hosts an, uh, an episode every month. And so we like to cover stories from different regions all over the world so we can kind of get an idea of what other people believe in and kind of their history. And that's, I mean, there's a lot of uh, psych jokes thrown in there and a lot of ridiculous banter. And, um, possibly some penis jokes here and there ball jokes too you forgot all the ball cannibalism jokes. oh cannibalism mm -hmm. you gotta mix it in one way or another cannibalism always has to make its appearance some way somehow you have to keep things light and you know what better way than cannibalism exactly 
Exactly. Well, that is awesome. I'm a huge fan of the show, so I'm so happy to have you all on. I know we're not talking about cryptozoology, mythology, or anything like that, but I figured I would take you on a little weird journey through true crime this week. (laughs) Before we dive into that, though, what do you all need a distraction from? Lens, do you want to go first? Sure. I need a distraction from the weather this week. I live in Minnesota. It has been super shitty. Like, We'll get a glimpse of sun and like run outside and be like, oh my God, it's the sun. And then all of a sudden it's like, just kidding, downpour. And then the other day, the (laughs) next day it's like, hey, look, it's the sun. Remember me? (laughs) Just kidding, it's snow. And I'm just like, I hate you so much. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know what? That's fair. Uh, Also, Minnesota is, in my eyes, like second Canada. Pretty much, yeah. I get it because one day it's, you know, plus 20, plus 15 out. And then the next day it's like minus 15. There's snow, hail, mm-hmm. a tornado from a, from far away happening. It's, yeah, it's chaos. So I, <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Ashley, what about you? What's your need for a distraction this week? I need to be distracted from the fact that I live in a hellscape that has 10 dogs in it. I'm being held here against my will. I can't wait to be done with this. I leave in approximately... Yay! Nice. And she is blinking, so she is letting us know that she does need help, so. Yes, I know Morse code, and I'm not afraid (laughs) to use it. (laughs) Love it. And Emily, to round us out, what do you need a distraction from this week? Ah, well, let's see. I am finishing up my last week of classes in grad school at the same time that I am planning my son's 10th birthday party, so it's a little chaotic right now. That just sounds like a lot. I hope you are able to celebrate once it's all said and done. Yep. Yep. The two days after I'm done with classes, we have a big birthday bash. Nice. That's awesome. That's perfect. Well, thank you guys all for sharing what you need a distraction from. Me personally, 2022, just a shithole. I'm going to take this to my grave. This year has already been pretty shitty. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, I'm not going to get super into it, but that blanket statement, it's Need distraction from 2022. So, yeah. Fair. I think that, yeah. <laughs> so you're going to have uh, 52 weeks of needing a distraction <laughs> from 2022. <laughs> Make sure you're dis- subscribed to the podcast because it's just going to keep coming. <laughs> so now that we've become more acquainted with our guests and, you know, talked more about their show as well as, you know, what we all need a distraction from, I think it's time to get things cooking and discuss this week's true crime case. Are you Yay. girls ready for it? Yes. Yes. Depress me if you can. I'm already pretty well. <laughs> I'm already there. <laughs> well, I wanted to cover a case that was somewhat pizza adjacent, given the fact that your show is Pineapple Pizza Podcast. Oh, and- pizza adjacent. <laughs> yes. Um, guys, it's bad. <laughs> it's like the... F- is it? Go ahead. It's not the pizza bomber, no, is it? No, but I'm intrigued. Okay, I was going to say, that's my hometown. <laughs> I, we'll, need, we'll need to talk after this because I've never heard of that case before. But no, this is a li- like the farthest thing from pizza. Like there's one aspect of pizza. But as soon as I got into the case, I was like, well, I have to cover it now. Like I'm already <laughs> three pages in. <laughs> Ugh, but the case that I'm covering this week and that we're going to be discussing is the horrifying disappearance of Sherry Eyerly and how even after a psychic and unsolved mysteries, you know, like mm-hmm. the show Unsolved Mysteries, became involved, there are still mysterious circumstances surrounding where Sherry is. 
As always, due to the potential distressing adult themes discussed, listener discretion is advised. Before I get into Sherry's background, have any of you heard about this case? Mm -mm. It's not ringing a bell. The name sounds familiar, but I don't. Like I listen to so many things. Like really, we we can't have any way of knowing if I really remember it yeah. or if I'm making it up. Fair enough. I am Fair excited enough. about Robert Stack though having an, an involvement oh. in the case. So I mean, same. Anytime Robert Stack's involved, R.I.P. I was just going to say R.I.P. Yeah, R.I.P. Pour one out for our homie Robert Stack, <laughs> but. Alas, let's get into it. So, <laughs> Sherry was born a Sagittarius on December 6, 1963, to parents Steve and Linda Irely. The family presumably reside in the state of Oregon, in which today's story primarily revolves around them being in Salem, Oregon. Salem, for those who don't know, aka me, because I am not from the US of A, uh, is the capital city of Oregon and has the slogan, Salem, historic heart of Oregon. Which just oozes corniness to me. But what what do you think of city slogans, guys? Like, are you are you for them, against them? I think they're hilarious. I think I think it needs to be like uh, Parks and Rec, where yeah. they allow people to vote on what their city slogan's going to be. Yeah, <laughs> and it's terrible. Yes. Yep. Yes. And then you pick the worst one on purpose. Yeah. On purpose. What was it? douche nation or something like that so not much further is publicly known about sherry's upbringing in earlier years unfortunately from what accounts mostly said she was outgoing and friendly however that was kind of all i was able to find which is really annoying because i find those blanket statements don't really give us a good picture as to who the person was like i know a lot of outgoing and friendly people yeah Mm -hmm. you know like who was she really I'd be willing to bet at least a dollar that someone would say she lit up the room. Mm -hmm. Oh, more Uh than likely. More than likely, yeah. For sure. She was the life of the party. Yeah, and I feel, I think those statements are very generic, but also they don't necessarily allow for people to kind of question, okay, but what else? Right? It's like the Mm -hmm. second that someone says that, it's like, oh, okay. Like, I know this person now. It's like, no, you don't. You don't know their favorite color. You don't know what made them happy, what made them sad, Mm -hmm. which is the kind of shit that I'd like to know. So, same-sies, same-sies. What we do know leads us to when she was actually about 18 years old. So, picture this. The year is 1982. The number one song, according to Billboard, was Physical by Olivia Newton-John. Oh, that's a good song. Nice. The San Francisco 49ers (laughs) beat the Bengals at the Super Bowl, and the movie E.T. was released. And scarred a whole generation's worth of children. Yep. Guys, I'm so excited about the fact that I wasn't born yet. Same. I was born the year after. Yes. (laughs) I'm so young. (laughs) It's running through my veins. It's okay. I'll go back to feeling approximately 1,000 years old any minute. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, needless to say, 1982 was a pretty big year, especially for Sherry. <laughs> so, in that summer of 1982, it's been reported that Sherry had just graduated high school and was debating on where to go to college in the fall. During this time, Sherry and her cousin Cindy had moved out on their own into an apartment building reportedly in the neighborhood referred to as South Salem. 
Being that she had moved out on her own and was debating on going to post-secondary, Sherry more than likely realized she needed to financially support herself. I mean... Yes. 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 She needed her own income. She needed to support (laughs) rent, food, existence, that sort of stuff. You know, the everyday stuff. Yep. Mm Mm-hmm. So, (laughs) Sherry apparently proceeded to get a part-time job as a pizza delivery worker for Domino's Pizza. This is where the pizza ties. Oh. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, no. This is where the pizza pizza. This is where the pizza ties in. (laughs) Very, very far-fetched. You see what I mean? Like, I looked for pizza cases. This one came up, got into it. I was like, oh, this is interesting. And then realized it's very... uh, not as in-depth as with pizza as I thought it was going to be. <laughs> I'm curious to know if if the Noid was big in... Nope, that was too too soon. Noid? I don't know what's going on. The, the Domino's Noid, it's better if you don't know. It's a crazy oh. character that Domino's created, and apparently it didn't make its first <laughs> appearance until 1986. So, uh, Kind of like the Ronald McDonald of the dominoes world Ugh, yeah it was like no it was like a guy in like a red suit that had like ears it was it's weird they're trying to bring it back mm-hmm. and i was no. like well, i don't know no. No. stop nope, trying I to make it. it happen yeah stop trying to make what is it noid noid stop <laughs> trying to make noid happen and yeah, has, i hate it no nope. <laughs> no one fire. liked him in the 80s don't bring him back <laughs> yeah no i don't care <laughs> if gen zers are wearing <laughs> bell-bottom jeans or whatever there's some things that are meant to stay in its decade. That sounds mm-hmm. like one of them. Yep. Period. <laughs> End yep. of discussion. <laughs> so accounts claim that Sherry seemingly enjoyed her job, which was located at 1049 Commercial Street, Southeast in Salem. During the evening hours of Sunday, July 4th, 1982, Sherry was reportedly called into work for an extra shift. She had just returned home from a family vacation in Northern California and allegedly wasn't scheduled to work that evening. However, being the great person she is, she agreed. I, on the other hand, was said, hell no. I just spent an entire vacation with my family. I need at least three to six business days to recuperate. <laughs> Same. Mm-mm. No, thank you. She, I need to detox, yes. please. <laughs> she probably wanted that, that holiday cash. True, true. Goodness. That make, I mean, that makes sense. Why not, right? But she agrees to go in. Mm-hmm. Um, at around 9.30 p.m. that Sunday evening, a delivery order was placed that would have had Sherry going to a reported remote area in South Salem. No, don't do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> red nope. flag already. We're going to nope. throw it That's up. creepy. Shouldn't no. we do the game? How many red flags can we count? Okay, we got one. <laughs> one red flag. First red flag. (laughs) The address was reportedly nearby Riverhaven Drive South and Brown Island Roads close to the Willamette River. Here's where things get weird. The person who placed the order, an identified male who reportedly sounded to be middle-aged, had reportedly requested that a certain female driver make the delivery. Mm -mm. Flag number two. Two. Mm -hmm. Two. Two red Red flags. Flag number two. I don't like it. The caller explained that he was requesting this specific female worker as this unnamed worker had made deliveries to him in the past. Yeah, that he like remembers her by name. I, I don't like it. I don't like it. So we're, we're at red flag number three? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're going to call it three because he's like, yeah, she's delivered to me in the past. Like they have a relationship and you're like, no, she just brings you pizza. No. 
that's not a relationship. That's that's customer you, yeah, service. It's, it's customer service. Yeah, that's a transaction. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So from my understanding, the caller didn't specifically request for Sherry, according to the YouTube video uploaded by the Crime Zone. Um, apparently it was somebody else. It wasn't Sherry. So that's that's all we kind of have gathered. The Domino okay. staff indicated that delivery worker the man had requested was not working. And therefore, it would be Sherry that would have to go because she was the one working. Mm-hmm. I will mention that apparently the Domino staff, uh, the Domino staff member that was on the phone with this man, had told the person that it's not a part of Domino's policy to like yep. send specific drivers to specific orders. Um, but regardless, other than that, they didn't really notice any red flags, even though we've counted three. <laughs> Mind you, it's the 80s, but still. If a guy is specifically asking for a female delivery driver, wouldn't you automatically send out a male delivery driver just to be safe? Mm-hmm. But again, it's the 80s. It's the 80s. So, Well, exactly. It's the 80s. Oh. See, I was thinking, wouldn't you automatically send the cops? <laughs> I'd be like, I will have a police officer yeah. deliver your pizza. Just <laughs> waiting for your pizza, and there's, the freaking lights are coming on. You're like, oh, damn, they have to their cars. <laughs> like, you're what? a creep, sir. Yeah, like, you're a creep. Automatic, you're getting a call from, you're getting a delivery from the cops. I feel like one of two things happened there. Mm. Either the person answering the phone was like a teenager yep. who was just like, da, 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 that sounds totally fine. Yep. Or they were a man. <laughs> and for men, that's not a red flag because no. they're like, I would totally do that. Yeah, like I would request a specific worker if I didn't have any fear about being murdered. Right. Yeah. right? I don't know. Well, and it's like, I'm sure like that sounds like a very teenager oh, thing yeah. you would do. Like if you knew that your friend was working and you're like, hey, can you send Chad out to deliver my Chad. pizza? Yeah. You, know. you picked Chad. I had to pick Never. a dude brand. Yeah. <laughs> but they said this guy sounded middle age. Yes. He apparently was middle yeah. age. And she's yeah. 18. Okay, yeah. but that's not abnormal because we live in a horrible world that I hate and want to burn down every day. Well, excuse me, I'm pushing middle aged and I'm dating somebody who's pretty young. So. <laughs> yeah, but you didn't ask him to deliver you pizza in a ro- remote location yeah. that you know of. <laughs> well, it, whatever the two of you do in the privacy of your personal life, <laughs> if you want to have a weird pizza fantasy, I'm not going to you know stop what? you. I here for it totally it does sound, sound like, like fun, fun. Doesn't you, it? no no king no shaming. shaming here you get pizza. there better be real pizza yeah. though because you're gonna be yeah. hungry Hello. no dick in the box mm-hmm. Goodness. okay this is no, all weird it's yeah. my fault no dick in the box no dick in the box i put some extra sausage on this one for you no you didn't oh god Lindsay, you would get such severe burns do not do it there wouldn't actually be pizza in the box it's just it's just a hole stick in it Lindsay, there would be pizza in the box stop ruining it there has to be pizza oh my god no sausage stromboli anybody we have gotten so far away we have and this is just what happens and we're very sorry it's okay you know what it is what it is i love it yeah um so so creepy guy and she's delivering mm-hmm. yes so even though this request was considered weird obviously to us 
from the outside looking in how many decades later. The call allegedly didn't raise any red flags, as mentioned, and after the caller appeared to be talking to somebody else in the room. So at one point in the call, you the person reportedly heard the person making the, the order request or what have you talking to somebody behind them being like, oh, what do you want? Yada, yada. And then finally the order was okay, put in. Okay, see, I could see how that part might like yeah. kind of lower your suspicions a little bit. Sure, exactly. like there's other people there. So exactly. It's yeah. So okay. Yeah. It wasn't, so but. Sherry would be sent out to make the delivery, in which she was reportedly wearing a red and blue domino shirt, so like you know work attire, mm-hmm. and a pair of jeans. She also had a cap on, like a Domino's like visor thing, and that was all like that. That, that that's what she was wearing and little did she know that was going to be the last thing she was going to be seen in and she wouldn't be returning back to Domino's. So later on in the evening of July 4th, a red and white Domino's delivery car was seen abandoned on an isolated dirt road within the no. south of Salem. People that lived by called police after noticing the peculiar scene. The car was observed to still be running with its oh. lights on and the driver's oh, door no. ajar. Three, <laughs> it nope. gets worse. The pe- three <laughs> pizza boxes were reportedly witnessed scattered on the road, along with a Domino's cap found nearby the scene. Further investigating found a footprint and a tire track nearby. However, there wasn't any further sign of a struggle. Sherry was nowhere to be found, and the situation was promptly treated as an abduction, with the notion that foul play was quickly suspected. So how how long was this after she had left so, for the delivery? I believe so the call was placed at 9:30. She must have gone out probably anytime after 10. Like, like it was early, yeah. like it was pretty early in the wee like the wee hours of the night that okay. the car was noticed and from what I gathered people that lived nearby had noticed a little bit of the scene kind of unfolding but not enough to like pinpoint exactly like oh we watched her get abducted or we watch what happened yeah. to her it mm-hmm. was they saw her pull over and we'll get into what other vehicle they saw and then they witnessed this car just sitting on the road with the door open and pizzas everywhere oh. sure but Domino's didn't notice that's that she had not up. that's what i was thinking too yeah. well and it was before cell phones you know so yeah i know it's always hard because you i think because we're so used to having technology that it blows my mind thinking of a time where, uh, for example, my parents lived and ran around Toronto around the same time that Paul Bernardo and Carla Homoka were doing all the shit yeah. they were doing, right? And it blows my mind that, oh my gosh, like, they could have been, you know, whatever, and not really known because they didn't have a little pocket device of a computer in their mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. their hand to check the news all the time, right? It's just ugh, it's well, wild. and it's hard too because if it if she left at like ten o'clock, maybe that was her last delivery for the night, you know, and then maybe yeah. she went home, or like like maybe that was the assumption, you know, yeah. or it's it's but hard. She to was say. driving the Domino's vehicle, yeah, right, yeah, but yeah, I mean, she was a teenager, and how many and other teenagers? To come back and clock yeah. out. That's true. That's true. I'm playing devil's advocate. Yeah, here. it's it's definitely one of those things too where. It was interesting. I think Domino's did get a lot of flack for how they handled the case because they also didn't they didn't take the call as really suspicious. And that right there was kind of like, why wouldn't have you kind of rose a red flag 
after the caller had asked for a very specific worker and then now Sherry's disappeared, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, so they did get a lot of flack. They did, I think, kind of attest that, mm-hmm. you know, they had, they really didn't have a situation like this prior to. Yeah. So how could, you know, how could they have known, you know? And mm-hmm. unfortunately, safety measures for staff safety, yeah. I don't think was as big of a concern then as it is now, right? Whereas, now, you know, if you're driving a company yeah. car, it's you're being tracked because you're safety. And they also want to know that you're not just fucking off with the car, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what I was thinking the second thing. It's like, yeah, it's also because they want to know where you are. <laughs> but no, safety, safety too. Safety too. Not everyone's a horrible safety person. Too. Just most people. <laughs> just most people. Just most. And we will get to those awful people don't you worry so police seem to have quite the mystery on their hands once involved for starters according to a blog written by sherry's reported cousin allison lee on a website called steam it there was a ransom call placed on july 5th at domino's regarding sherry Hmm. in a direct quote by allison regarding this quote the next day someone did call in with a ransom demanded for sherry's safe return the caller never attempted to further communicate with police or collect any money end quote what do you all think of that what are your thoughts that person doesn't know how to do a kidnapping no you don't kidnap a pizza person and then think their employer's gonna pay you yeah No. Yeah. Mm-mm. Well, and it's like if they didn't know that you should call her family, right? Like I thought that was weird, and you instead called her employer. Yeah. To me, that almost kind of sounds like she was perhaps already dead mm. at that point, so they couldn't ask her. You know, like who were your parents? Yeah. You know, or whatever, or like even what her name was to be able to put a ransom to the correct people who would actually give a shit about. Well- not that Domino's doesn't doesn't care, no. but you know what I mean? Like someone who would actually be like, have a vested interest oh, in finding their exactly. child. And I found it interesting that they called Domino's because of that reason. And on top of that, why would you call, why would you call back? Like you've already made a call. Why would you call back? Like why, why, why interact again? And, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, it's, it's really, it's really sus. I would imagine that this had hit the news pretty quickly. It did. Probably on the news that day. Who's to say that was even actually the kidnappers? Right. Who's oh, to say that wasn't somebody else? That's a good thought theory. It could have been a prank. Because if they w- didn't give any kind of idea as to where to drop off the money mm-hmm. or anything like that, and there's no follow-up, who's to say that's actually the kidnappers at all? True. Very true. Because people are awful. Because people suck. Because people fucking yeah, suck. It could have just been a prank. Facts. It's true. A sick so, prank. Upon further investigation, the address and name provided to Domino's for the delivery, the one that Sherry did, was reportedly fake. So the call back number provided was apparently for a local motel called City Center Motel, and the name was just like some made up name. However, there was one small lead which would eventually lead police somewhere. So eyewitnesses came forward to investigators indicating that there was a lime green pickup truck nearby the same area where Sherry's delivery car had been found, which I'm just going to put it out there once. If you have a lime green vehicle, seek therapy. I just I don't understand. I don't get it. (laughs) What has happened to you is unfortunate. Who hurt you? (laughs) You don't. You don't need a lime green car. Just yeah, that's a lime green flag. Thank you. Yes, we don't want it. 
<laughs> well, this was 1982, though. 19. It, think about the color of vehicles in the 70s. True. What colors were really popular? It was like oranges and greens. And True. It wouldn't yeah. be that unreasonable to think that there would be a green and a Browns. bright green car coming out of the 70s. True. But I hate it. I hate it. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> but also, like, if you're going to be kidnapping somebody, why would you use, like, such a bright and vibrant car? Like, like such exactly. a memorably, a memorable colored car to... Yeah. Like, it... Weird mm, flex, but mm, okay. Weird, extremely weird flex. And so, Marion County Police placed a missing persons ad out to the community for Sherry, which they indicated the following regarding the truck. So a vehicle believed to be a lime green pickup with a roll bar and possibly overhead lights was observed in the area about the time Sherry's delivery car was found by passing citizens. This pickup truck may be mid 50 to mid 60s, so from the 50s or 60s, and potentially four wheel drive. So Sherry's family and friends offered a $10,000 reward to whomever would be able to locate Sherry, um, hopefully alive, and a $20,000 reward for information leading to an arrest and conviction of the potential suspect or suspects. In August of 1982, so about a month after all this went down, an anonymous caller tipped off investigators with a potential lead. So we've got another one. This caller informed police that they knew someone who had a similarly described lime green pickup who had recently repainted their truck brown. Non-discreet, discreet colored. Mm-hmm. Ugh. They realized after the fact that they, they made a, a color mistake, I guess. What's odd about this paint job, according to this caller, is that it allegedly took place approximately eight days after Sherry's disappearance. And this person who supposedly painted their truck from lime green to brown, was identified as being 30-year-old Daryl J. Wilson. So, Daryl was a local in Salem and had allegedly, potentially, maybe known Sherry. I read some reports that they either didn't know each other or they were acquaintances. And then there was a couple of articles that said that he potentially was into her. It's kind of all over the map. Basically, it's potentially that they knew each other, but we, we can't for sure say. When Daryl mm -hmm. was interviewed by police, because after they got the call, they're like, we need to talk to this man who just painted his truck brown from lime green. He first informed police that he was camping 30 miles east of Salem at Elkhorn Lake with friends on the evening Sherry went missing. So he's like, nah, I was camping. I was, you know, away i wasn't in town yada yada however upon further investigating police discovered that daryl reportedly left that campsite at around 6 30 p.m so about three hours before the order was placed interesting according to the youtube video by the crime zone there was an alleged eight to nine hour gap that daryl could not recount his whereabouts from the time like from when he left camp at 6 30 p.m until mm -hmm. after 3 a.m that's that's a pretty big gap right you know i could see maybe a couple minutes maybe an hour eight to nine like that's a pretty that's a pretty big gap yeah especially to just be up and missing from your campsite right like that doesn't doesn't really make where sense. are you going yeah what are you doing Why are you gone it doesn't take that long to get s'mores daryl mm -hmm. like get get the get what you need to make the s'mores and come back some of us are hungry 
doesn't take that long. Did you go make the marshmallows from scratch, Daryl? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is not the time to make homemade marshmallows, Daryl. But what's even weirder about this is that he couldn't explain the gap. So the gap was a knowledge of like, hey, man, what's what's the tea? Like, what's going on? And he, according to what I read, he couldn't explain where he was or anything. So this is not looking great for Daryl. Police allegedly had searched Daryl's vehicle. However, according to the Charlie Project website, they found nothing. So there was no evidence. There was nothing outstanding that they could find. It is the, like, it's 1982, so DNA evidence wasn't you know, what what we know now, but still, they didn't find anything, really. Um, and as police continued looking into Daryl, there is another character that kind of enters the situation that I want to introduce, being psychic John Catchings. Has anyone heard of John Catchings? His last name is Catchings. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. John, your name sounds as fake as Penn Badgley, sir. I don't believe that's your real name. Tell us your real name. Yeah. <laughs> so John Boyd Catchings was reportedly born on February 17th, 1947 in Millam County, Texas. Shout out to Texas. John would be known as a psychic uh, the older he got. Um, as well, he would be mostly known for his involvement in helping police solve homicide and missing persons cases. So he, 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 people believe that he had these really strong abilities. And from what I read, he did help with some missing person missing person cases and some homicide cases like he was able to get the answers that they were looking for mind you there were also cases i don't think he really helped that much i was going to say what was his track record as far as wins versus losses in the realm of predicting I say, like i read a percentage somewhere between 40 to 60% of win like of actually figuring Helping. yeah which i was kind of surprised by but i mean it's also 1982 so i'm just gonna put that out there take that in yeah. take that statement with how you will but it's it's also 1982 he's no sean spencer <laughs> no yeah <laughs> you you three might be wondering how does john come involved in this case and i'm sure the listeners are wondering how does John get involved in this case? Yes, tell us. How does he get involved in this case? Because we're all waiting to hear. <laughs> yeah, because so, he's from Texas. That's nowhere near Oregon. No. So to expand <laughs> on that further, I have a direct quote from the Unsolved Mysteries wiki page. Quote, John Catchings awoke at 3 a.m. from a sound sleep. At the edge of his bed, he saw the ghostly figure of a young woman standing there. He believed that there was a reason she appeared to him. End quote. So John didn't know who this female apparition was until approximately four days later when he reportedly received a package from investigators with information about Sherry's case. So apparently investigators reached out to John after Sherry's parents, Linda and Steve, were like, hey, what about that Texan psychic? Can we loop him in? And I mean, on one hand, it's kind of like, oh, no, but... On the other, it's, you know, they're so desperate, they're probably so desperate trying to figure out what happened to Sherry that, you know, I get it, right? Like, yeah, in that situation, maybe I would do the same. Yeah, it's, who's, who's it's one of those things where as a parent, I could see you would want to explore every single avenue you can to find your missing child. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's, it's easy to kind of 
think it's comical outside looking in being like contact this texan to uh, investigate our daughter's missing persons case but again as a parent like you would you would explore every single avenue available to you to try and find your child and it sounds like he had a good reputation already yeah like from what i kind of gathered he was very well respected i mean i think there are a lot of psychics out there that don't necessarily have as good as a reputation as this person like as john did john uh as mentioned he receives this envelope there's a bunch of information about sherry's case and when he sees sherry's picture it kind of clicks to him like he analyzes the photo he's like that is who was in my bedroom the other night Uh uh-huh sure it was supposedly allegedly according to was it a vision or did you do the murder Oh, that's my question, sir. Your last name twist, is Catchings. <laughs> twist, twist, <laughs> plot <laughs> twist. Supposedly, John had a feeling that Sherry had been abducted by someone she had known but didn't know on a deep personal level, aka an acquaintance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. John also reported seeing visions of a white house, and according to the Unsolved Mysteries wiki page, he envisioned that a front door was open and it appeared that there were stairs right near the front door. Um, he also saw this house having white pillars that were superimposed over the house. So he's visioning all this happening after getting the information about Sherry. So he goes to Salem and, you know, goes to the scene of her disappearance with investigators where he then explains what he thinks happened like what he quote-unquote envisioned happening to sherry on that mysterious july 4th evening so according to john sherry was approached by a pickup truck with several lights on it the driver got out of the truck and approaches sherry telling him that he had ordered the pizzas and gave the wrong address as sherry gets out of the car to give the pizzas to this man the unknown man grabs her from behind and drags her into his truck Nothing further was reported from John based on what I saw regarding what happened next to Sherry. So basically, he tells police kind of what led up, but then doesn't explain like whether or not she's she's gone or gotcha. alive, anything. Yeah. Uh, anybody else feel like that this was something that was pretty easy to deduce based on the yeah. circumstances of the crime scene? Yeah. And... Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm. It's hard because you want to you want to think that no one would try and yeah. pull the wool over a situation like this with anyone involved. But in the same sense, when I was writing it, it's like, well, I mean, I don't know much about the case, but it, that that's how I would kind of picture what would happen, right, uh-huh. given how the scene was and, left. And how many cases have you solved with your psychic abilities? I'm just curious. Yeah, none. Oh, seven. (laughs) (laughs) I was just like, I'm actually working on one right now, and uh, I'm feeling pretty good about it. Lean on eight. (laughs) I just solved it. It was the husband. Um, So. Makes sense. (laughs) Well, and it's like, even with a description of the houses and things like that, how common are white houses? How common is it to have Mm -hmm. a set of stairs right inside the front door? And... No. The only thing that's weird is those pillars, maybe. And I've never been to Oregon, so I'm not sure if that's like a common architectural feature. I'm wondering if if the pillars are like part of a, mm. a porch, like a front the porch type of thing. Are part of your porch. Oh, ho, ho. oh my god! How do <laughs> oh, we yeah. get so sexual so fast talking about porches? Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> 
so John, here here's a here's an interesting statement. So John allegedly had indicated at one point in his vision that he saw the unknown man driving a lime green truck. Okay. Shocking, I know. I I know. It's like, well, okay. <laughs> Thanks for that piece of information. Right. Uh, John further inquired with investigator Captain Will Hingston if out of the possible suspects they had were any of them owners of said lime green vehicle. So Captain Hingston reportedly started rhyming off people on the list. I don't know if all of them had lime green trucks, but I don't know, maybe Will didn't hear him. And he's just like, oh, well, we've got this guy and this guy and we have this Daryl guy. And as soon as he said Daryl's name, John's like, that's it. Bing. Bing bong. Mm. That's that's the one. That's that's the guy. So by August 21st of 1982, investigators allegedly escorted John to Daryl's home. They're like, all right, let's see how good of a psychic you are. Let's take you to this guy's house and see what happens. Hmm. According to the reports, John became baffled to see that Daryl's home was exactly like the one he had witnessed in his visions. With everything adding up, it appeared mm-hmm. that Daryl was looking more involved with the disappearance of Sherry. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, though, we will never know because Daryl reportedly died by suicide shortly after John and the investigators had visited his home. Some may look at Daryl's suicide as a sign of guilt. However, there have been reports that Daryl may have struggled with his mental health as well as substance use prior to Sherry's disappearance. And I mean, if that is or was the case, on top of then being pointed at for potential abduction and who knows maybe a murder i don't know if they had mentioned that to him at that point but i think that would push literally anybody over the edge Mm -hmm. personally along with this information there have been reports that even though john felt strongly that daryl was connected police didn't necessarily think that daryl fit the behavioral profile of whomever abducted sherry so it's interesting because it seems at one point in the investigation they're like it's daryl it's got to be daryl it's daryl but then as they kind of continuously looked into it more they're like but he doesn't seem like that guy like he it seems like it could be because of the whole truck situation but other than that it's not he's not really fitting the 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 you know the profile right so after daryl's death those investigating along with sherry's friends and family probably felt extremely lost as to what to expect next i mean they had this lead that seems so potentially prominent and now they're gone and we'll just never know whether whether or not right and that's got to be very frustrating for everybody involved with that being said this is when the classic show unsolved mysteries came into action and yes we're talking about the robert stack one not the remake because once again it's the 80s netflix didn't didn't even exist in the 80s so we've got robert stack on the case there only is the one with robert stack yeah i mean the new ones aren't that bad but I, I love Robert Stack so much. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> there is something about Robert Stack in a trench coat with the blue eyeshadow. There is something about old school, <laughs> late 80s, mm-hmm. early 90s reenactments. like And the graphics true and music. Artistry. It's just chef's kiss. Like, I really... honestly honestly it's just amazing and it's on i think all seasons are on amazon prime i know they are in canada because that's that's where i watch so that was my childhood i would literally spend (laughs) summers watching unsolved mysteries yeah eating macaroni and cheese with my sister 
And that was yes. like what we would do is we would watch Unsolved Mysteries <laughs> while eating macaroni and cheese. I did all of that also, except my sister <laughs> did not like watching Unsolved Mysteries. So I watched it alone, but she was annoyed about it. It was awesome. <laughs> and that was the last time I felt happiness. That was the last time my little heart felt joy. <laughs> Facts. Facts. So, Sherry's disappearance was aired on the November 10th, 1991 episode in hopes that either Sherry would be located or that more information could at least be gathered, right? Ugh, a they, decade they... after, almost. Yeah, which is really sad. Extremely sad. And unfortunately, the case seemingly would go cold again. So the episode goes out and not a lot comes out of it, unfortunately. Thanks, Robert, but no thanks. He can only do so much. I, I You know, there's only so many trench coats. There's only so many trench coats and there's only so many graphics you can really put in one episode, right? Like, I get it. And fog machines. Straight oh, lamps. Oh, all the fog machines. Yeah. <laughs> and wet roads that you're walking down oh, in the dark. Yes. And I'm so- getting the best nostalgia right now. It's I am so too. Good. I'm like, I'm like feeling it. Yes. Like, yeah. Oh. So the case goes cold again until roughly 2006 slash 2007. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, That's so long. That's when I graduated high school, 2006. <laughs> I was gonna age myself there, but I'm just gonna continue on. I was almost out of college. Emily, where were you in 2006, 2007? Uh, several years out of high school. Okay. Cool. Cool. I'm only um, a year younger than Lindsay. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was, yeah. I wasn't far from graduating. I was going to say, I was in public <laughs> school. Yeah, you're the baby, Alex. Oh, God. I could have been your babysitter. <laughs> I mean, you still can. <laughs> yes. I could have made you macaroni and cheese, and we could have washed Unsolved Mysteries together. <laughs> we still can. I don't see why we can't. <laughs> mm-hmm. Let's do that. Yeah, I was going to say, let's just Can all we have a mac and cheese Unsolved Mysteries party. <laughs> yes. Like, what's stopping us? Oh. Pajamas? Oh, God. Stuffed Dream animals? Party. Let's do all it. All right. I, I love it. We're going to have to, we're going to have to figure out dates after this. We'll figure it out. We'll get it on the, we'll get it on the <laughs> we'll calendar. We'll get it on the calendar. Okay. Everyone meet in Pennsylvania. We'll <laughs> do. <laughs> it makes sense. You know what? It's fine. It's fine. I'll go to Pennsylvania. I've never been. I don't know what's there. We'll figure it out. Nothing. Cool. Trees. Trees. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Some deer. The first. The first crematorium. Poorly paved highways. Ooh, potholes. Yes. Yes. Lots of potholes. (laughs) You had me at crematorium. You're losing me at potholes. Fair enough, you know? Fair enough. Oh, God. So before we get into kind of the resurrection of the case, I did want to talk about a couple of other cases that kind of happened. So we're going to do some hypothetical time traveling. Cue, uh, editor, can you please cue the Unsolved Mysteries theme song? Great. Excellent. So as previously mentioned, police didn't necessarily feel like Daryl Wilson fit the perpetrator profile. However, there was someone else that did, and they were responsible for three other cases that seemed eerily similar to Sherry's. So we're going to focus on these cases. (gasps) The first one took place on February 12th, 
1981. 21-year-old Pela shoe store clerk Terry Cox Monroe was reportedly enjoying time off work with some friends at the Oregon Museum Tavern. The group had allegedly been, you know, at the tavern. They were chatting. They were smoking because it was the 80s. And it was legal to do it inside. Yeah. It was legal to do inside. I picture literally just like a thick fog of smoke, kind of similar to the Unsolved Mysteries smoke machines, but thicker. Only by your heads and not by your feet. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Exactly. At one point, Terry was like, you know what? I need to step outside. She needs some fresh air. Totally understandable. Mm -hmm. So Terry left her friends and presumably wandered outside, which I'm sure as she walked away from the group, none of them assumed it would be the last time they'd see Terry alive. The following day, friends and family became increasingly worried as Terry Rapoli did not show up for work, which was not like her at all. She was very punctual. She always showed up. And not only that, too, but I read in reports that she didn't show up at home that night, but her parents thought, oh, well, she went out with her friends. She's probably just staying over at a friend's house. So they didn't really think anything of it. But when she didn't show up to work, they're like, oh, shit, this is not something's up. Right. Big old red flag. Investigators were called in, and after searching yeah. for Terry yeah. for two hours, yeah. her clothing and ID were found on the banks of the Willamette River. By March 15th of 1981, an identified boater on the Willamette River had reportedly spotted the body mm. of a woman wedged amidst debris and immediately notified police. The body was identified as Terry's, in which the cause of death was ruled as asphyxiation by strangling. Mm. So Terry's murder was reportedly thought to be the doing of Randall Woodfield, also known as the I-5 killer. But the killer would be discovered as someone different, which we will get to shortly. What I did learn about Oregon was that there is a lot of unsolved murders, like a shit ton. I mean, I'm sure there's a shit ton everywhere, but for some reason, Oregon just has abundance especially between like the 70s and late 80s early 90s and so i think i mentioned it later on in my research but there are still so many unsolved cases and mm. it seems as if a lot of them have kind of just gone cold for so many decades and i think as recent as maybe 2010 or after that they're trying to relook into them but eh, it's a little hard to kind of yeah. Pinpoint exactly who. Well, they've got a lot of like woodland and stuff yeah. in Oregon. That it's and easy to... it was like prime time for serial killers in the States. Yeah. That's fair yeah. because back yeah. in the day, you would just answer your door for people that you did not know. And I maintain that that's why so many people got serial murdered and, in the 70s and the well, 80s. That's the they thing, were right? too trusting because they didn't know any better. And hitchhiking was a big thing that's too. That's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Every time I see a hitchhiker now, it's like, oh. Oh, honey, oh. don't do that. And police departments didn't communicate. Yeah, it's like it's like if someone disappeared in one county, they wouldn't they talk to still the county don't. next door. Like, it was just... Oh, no. Communication they was just didn't do not it. the stations so. that they were checking into. It's They still don't. <laughs> Realistically, they still yep. don't. You might have an identified body in yep. another county and just never know yep. it. Or another town, even. It could be the town next door. Exactly. We're going to jump forward from March 15th of 1981 to February 19th of 1981. 1984. 21-year-old Rebecca Ann Darling reportedly disappeared during her night shift at a convenience store. Rebecca reportedly wasn't supposed to work that evening, but switched shifts with a colleague and ended up working. Never switch shifts. Never work. That's what we're learning. Just don't have a job. <laughs> just, just, yep, just don't. Just stay in your basement. Be a hermit. You'll live forever. <laughs> yep. So to further recount on what happened next, I'm going to directly quote 
Murderpedia. Quote, a customer had seen Rebecca on the job at around 3.20 a.m., but she was missing 30 minutes later when another early shopper found the store deserted. Darling's decomposed remains were found on March 25th, concealed in brush along the Little Pudding River, six miles northeast of town. And this is where things get not great. So she was found, her body was found nude from the waist up, and she had been strangled with a piece of rope hands bound behind her back end quote that's such a personal way to murder somebody it's very personal very personal yeah well and i find it interesting that so far all of these murders have been um disc- like the bodies have been discovered by water and nude yep. entirely nude and mm-hmm. and either partially or entirely nude yeah so it's very interesting Yeah, so the next gruesome event takes place on April 7th of 1984 when police were called to the scene of an abandoned car. The driver of the car, 18-year-old student Catherine Redmond, had borrowed the car Mm. from her roommate after a campus frat party. Oh no, frat parties. (laughs) Red flag number 57. (laughs) Yeah, 57 and counting. What's interesting about the car, so apparently the car's bumper, like the rear bumper, had been hit, in which investigators presumed that perhaps Rebecca had gotten out of the car after the car got hit. Catherine was reportedly attending Willamette University and was originally from San Francisco, California. So she wasn't even from Oregon. She was just there for school. And she was last seen leaving the frat party at around 2 a.m. and sadly wouldn't be seen again until April 11th. Catherine's body was located four miles from the spot where Rebecca Darling was discovered in March of that same year. Catherine's cause of death had been induced by, quote, traumatic asphyxiation and trigger warning because the next little bit that I'm going to say, not easy, digestible in terms of, you know, what what I'm about to say. It's 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 a lot. So trigger warning. But reports claim that her vagina was lacerated with some unknown foreign object. So she had been strangled and just brutally assaulted. Witnesses reported sightings of a late 1960s Pontiac station wagon in the area where Catherine's car had been discovered around 2 a.m. Whomever the perpetrator was, they allegedly earned themselves the nickname of Bumper. Further referencing a Salem Statesman Journal article by Cappy Lynn. This was because whoever did this drove up behind Catherine's car and hit it, forcing her to pull over and exchange information. As previously mentioned, that's kind of why they think she got out of the car was because someone hit her car, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Even though it seems as though Catherine is the only victim out of the previous, like out of all of the three that I just mentioned, um, who potentially died f- like as a result of this tactic, retired Salem police surgeon Jim Miller reported that there were other local women reporting to police that there was this man going around bumping into their car, but not like once they would go to exchange information, this man would get a little bit like nervous and then just flee. So whoever this was, was trying to make this kind of a a tactic or like a a motive or not a motive, but trying to make this part of their procedure, their procedure. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, up until Catherine, it wasn't successful. successful. Well, and you would imagine, I'm sorry, I'm terrible with names. The woman that had worked in the gas station, if somebody had been outside saying, hey, I can't get it to work. So you go outside and and you get snatched. Uh, yeah. The delivery driver, she gets out to hand the pizzas. It certainly could be a very similar right. mo. 
Mm-hmm. Well, and even with Terry too, right? Like she was outside of the tavern. She could have gone outside and noticed that this person bumped into another car, went over to help, and then, you know, like mm-hmm. it's hard because we don't exactly know what events led up to like very detailed to when it comes to Rebecca and Terry's murder. Mm-hmm. When it comes to Catherine's, it's a little bit different. Like they were able to kind of figure that out a little bit because there was, you know, the evidence of the car bumper being hit. Mm-hmm. But the other ones we don't. And mind you, they also weren't driving, yeah. right? Whereas Catherine was. So that's a little bit of a more obvious way to get that evidence. Yeah. Well, and it could have been a matter of like they were more crimes of opportunity versus mm-hmm. they if they had been trolling at like, you know, two in the morning or whatever and they weren't finding somebody. Yeah. Or they just didn't want to wait that long. Yeah. It could have been a matter of like, well, I'm at the gas station because I had to get gas. I'm just going to take this woman. Yeah. Or you know, I happen to be driving through town and there's this woman standing outside by herself. Perfect opportunity to just grab exactly. somebody. Exactly. And we know from killers like um, the Night Stalker that they don't have to keep the exact same MO every no. single time. They can change it up. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this, yep. the whole changing of the MO was pretty, I think, I would like to think it was probably something planned, right? Because you have a bunch of different people going missing. You have a bunch of different crimes going on. Like I said, this is kind of prime time for serial killers and what have you in the States. Changing your MO would allow for you to get away with probably more with people suspecting that somebody else did it that's already been caught, right? Like I'd mentioned, I think it was Terry who originally investigators thought that Mm -hmm. it was a different serial killer, the I-5 killer that had did it when in reality it wasn't. Mm -hmm. Right. So if this person's changing their MO, they don't necessarily have to worry about, oh, well, they'll, they'll just blame, you know, a Bundy or this person yep. or that person. Like, I can get away with it as long as I keep changing like a freaking chameleon. Yep. Criminal chameleon. Well, and it's one of those things, too, where it's like if they if they've gotten to the point where they are confident in knowing that they can execute this, that they can abduct a woman, mm-hmm. they can kill her and they can dump her. If they have set out to do that thing that night. It won't matter if they're bumping their car or if they're, you know, just happen to find them standing outside. They are going to do what they set out to do. Right. And it's probably not targeted. It's opportunity. They find a woman who's alone. Yep. Yeah. So I could see that being what ties that all together is, yes, even though the MO changes as far as like how the victims are caught or whatever you want to say, the end result is the same. I think that it was just a matter of how they were going to get those people in their clutches. So, which is unfortunate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there are a lot more serial killers who are opportunistic than we mm-hmm. like to think that there are. I don't know. That's just my personal thing is like if you're somebody who enjoys murdering people mm-hmm. and you see a good opportunity, I feel like that's going to happen. Exactly. Like if you have an itch that you want to scratch, you're going to find any opportunity to scratch it, right? Like that's kind of my mentality around it in the sense of I think if a perfect opportunity. So for example, you know, a woman standing up front of a tavern by herself or a woman working alone at, you know, a gas station early in the morning or, you know, a a college student driving by herself. Mm Mm-hmm. Of course, those are you know unfortunate opportunities that I could see somebody being like, okay, here we go. Like, yep. I, I have an itch. I need to scratch it. Like that Keys guy. Yeah. Oh, Israel Keys. Fuck Israel yeah. Keys. Israel oh, Keys. yeah. Fuck Israel that Keys guy. is the worst. <laughs> Ugh. Well, and there was a lot 
the escalation was there too because it didn't go from like march Mm -hmm. to april like real quick like just a few weeks later terry terry's case happened i believe in 1981 then we have sherry who was 1982 and then two in 1984 yeah, and the two in '84 were were really close together. They were like really a close. month apart. And these are the ones exactly. we know about. I'm sure there are others. That's what I was just thinking. Yes. Well, and that's what I was kind of hinting at before too. Is you know, there's so many missing person cases in Oregon, and especially in this time frame, who knows how many are actually connected to the person? Especially if you didn't find the body, right? or if mm-hmm. you have a body and it's mm-hmm. unidentified because it's been out exactly. too long, or if you happen mm-hmm. to think it's another serial killer oh, that's yeah, doing it. Exactly. Exactly. Like. There's so many ways to get away with it. And luckily for us, though, for this case, this person doesn't get away with it. So police reportedly had been tipped off that a local man by the name of William Scott Smith had owned a vehicle matching the description seen by eyewitnesses. So I don't know if maybe he was already on the police radar for other stuff or what have you, but basically fingers started pointing at him as the potential suspect. So who is William Scott Smith, you might be wondering. He was born on April 29th, 1959 in Portland, Oregon. He had been a member of his high school football team and wrestling team. However, he reportedly dropped out after his junior year, or I think it was in his junior year, my mistake. He would supposedly work as a truck driver and a convenience store clerk to make ends meet. Kind of, he kind of, it seems like he kind of went in and out of different jobs, but primarily truck driving, clerk. Sure. Kind of the only ones really documented. Early 20s. And yeah, early 20s jobs, Mm -hmm. right? Things to get you an income. As mentioned, William reportedly drove a 1960s Pontiac station wagon and therefore was interviewed for the murder of Catherine. William was 24 at the time he was questioned and reportedly had a criminal record dating back to 1977. So these previous charges included second-degree theft, second-degree burglary, driving with a suspended license, criminal mischief, and harassment charges. The harassment charges were actually taking place like he was in court for the harassment charges when this case with Catherine kind of came up. And apparently, from what I gathered, he was being charged because he wouldn't stop calling this one woman. And he was, like, harassing her on the phone. Nice. So, red flag number 60, I think we're at? Yeah, 60. (laughs) Given his history and reported sketchy alibis, William would be charged on April 23rd, 1984, for the murders of Catherine and Rebecca. So they're like... We're going to try and see if this one checks out. Oh, you don't have a good alibi. We're going to rope you in for Rebecca's case, too. When the trial began, William reportedly had already signed a written confession detailing how he carried out the murders of Catherine and Rebecca. So he, like, already admitted to it. But he gave, like, no reason for carrying it out. Like, he he didn't explain himself. He just said what happened when it happened, Mm -hmm. but he didn't say why it happened, which is so frustrating and i understand the whole narcissistic point of view of if i keep that to myself you're always gonna squirm and wonder why i did what i did blah 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 blah. but it's just like come on for the love of god like i understand that that's what your mentality might be but who who who's benefiting from this because in the in reality people are just going to keep bugging you and asking you why you did it it's a power it's a power play a power play yeah i was gonna say if you're like a spiteful person 
there's a lot of joy in not giving people what they want. That yeah, yeah. that's true. But oh, it's just so frustrating for people reading about it. <laughs> like, yeah, because yeah. it's like, why would you do it? But anyways, not a shocker. But William's mental health was put into question during his trial. According to an article by Janet Evanson for the Salem Statesman Journal, William would be analyzed by a psychiatrist who described William as a, quote, sexually sadistic serial killer, which is not something you want your psychiatrist to say to you ever, period. That's when you switch psychiatrists. Just kidding. That's not what you do. <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine? Oh, what I was going to say was worse. Oh, I'm so glad I let you go instead. <laughs> yeah. Oh, goodness. Uh, it also be considered a high-risk individual to the community, as it was deemed during his psychiatric evaluation, that he would be more than likely would reoffend, and, you know... Probably for the best that someone wrote that down because yeah, I I, I have uh, high high feelings that he yeah. would given his history. Yep. So William was deemed fit to stand trial. He was deemed sane and eventually was deemed guilty of the murders of both Catherine and Rebecca. He was subsequently sentenced to two life terms, each with a chance of parole after serving 20 years. So William had been probed by police about the murder of Sherry. However, the orig- like he originally denied any involvement whatsoever. He's like, nope, mm-mm, no idea what you're talking about. Not me. Didn't have anything to do with it. Yada, yada, yada. His alibi for the night that Sherry went missing was that he was reportedly driving truck in Washington state at the time. So he's like, I couldn't have been there. I was in Washington. I was in an, or like I, there's no way I was in Oregon. And like I was, I was in Washington. Despite having an alibi, investigators took another look at William down the road. They're like, yeah, this, this guy, you know, there's something about him. We, we mm-hmm. have a hunch that he had something to do with Sherry's disappearance. According to the Unsolved Mysteries wiki page, investigators had found that William had been stopped and questioned by police near Salem within hours of Sherry's abduction, Mm -hmm. which means Homeboy wasn't in Washington, but actually was in Salem, Oregon, which is where Sherry went missing. So riddle me that, William. What's good? Well, when's he being questioned? Is this in the early 2000s that he's being questioned, though? Yeah, this is, like, later on. Yeah. Would you like, remember what you were doing in 1982? Well, no. So, originally, originally that, that was the alibi he gave. So, he's like, yeah, I was in Washington in that night or whatever. And then later on, they're like, we found these records saying that you were in Salem, Oregon. And I can just imagine him probably sitting there with a dumb-ass look on his face. I can't read. I don't know where I live. Can you not read signs? You were a truck driver. I would hope to God you could read signs, but you're already in jail, sir. Like, yeah, like what, 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 what more do you have to lose? Like, I don't, I don't understand. I don't understand. But police went to William's cellmates to see if perhaps he had said anything to them that could maybe lead any inf- lead them to any information about Sherry's case. So basically, they're like, hey. Y'all want to snitch on your cellmate? And they're like, yep. <laughs> I do. <Basically>. <laughs> do I ever? So investigators learned that William had spilled the tea to his cellmates about being involved in an incident with a, quote, pizza girl. And that was it. Uh, however, like he, like, he didn't refer to Sherry by her name. He just referred to her as the pizza girl. The inmates allegedly documented their statements on cassette tapes and gave them to police 
which prompted another interview with William in 2006. William apparently wasn't keen to talk to investigators and declined wanting to connect at first. However, he would change his mind when he was offered to change prisons in exchange for his cooperation. So they're like, well, you can change prisons. He's like, I bet I'll talk. Like, I don't, I don't get it. What, what are your guys' thoughts on that? My problem with it is that if someone's getting something for something, you no longer know if what they're saying is true. Exactly. Like, I, I really do believe that some people will tell you whatever they think you want to hear if there's something in it for them. It could also be appealing to his vanity, too. Like, mm-hmm. oh, you want this information enough to like offer to transfer me to a new prison then sure yeah i'll talk Mm -hmm. to you i think that's where i was like okay so now you're willing to talk because there's something in it for you like yep you're already in jail what difference is it gonna make right but Mm -hmm. but at the same time though and i'm gonna just keep being this person you're already in jail you literally have nothing to lose and now somebody's like well we'll put you in a different prison and if that's something you want i'd be like yeah Why not? I'm already in here for a bunch of murder. I totally murdered that person also. Can I have my ice cream sandwiches now, please? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And we know that people do false confessions all the time. All the time. Whether intentionally or coerced. Very true. That too. With this kind of proposition on the table, William agreed to connect with investigators, where he then confessed to being involved in Sherry's abduction and murder. These are the events, like I'm going to explain the events that William supposedly laid out for investigators regarding what took place on that fateful July 4th evening for Sherry. Okay. Quote, he, William, claimed that his friend, Roger Nosef, ordered the pizzas and that they waited for her to arrive nearby. When she did, Smith flagged her down. As she picked up the pizzas from her car, they grabbed her and dragged her into their truck. They then took her to an area near Smith's parents' home where he then strangled her. He then dumped her body into the Pudding River where he had dumped his other victims. However, because of the flooding in the in the area at the time, her body has never been found. Did the friend drive a, a lime green truck? Supposedly, it's not really clear who owned the truck. And kind of at this point in the case, the truck's like not even a thing anymore, it seems. Like it's kind of like, eh. Almost like a false lead, if that makes sense. I'm going to admit that I feel very suspicious about whether or not there's any evidence to support that that's a real confession. Mm -hmm. A lot of that could have been gotten from the news or from investigators. Do we know if that friend was like a real person and was he still alive to like speak for himself well actually you bring up some good points that i think i might be able to answer so william was able to confirm pieces of sherry's case that were not released to the public providing more credibility that he was involved so for example he was able to reiterate what type of pizza had been ordered which no one but investigators and domino staff knew and i did not put it down my apologies but he knew the order. William also knew the exact amount of the ransom call made the day after Sherry disappeared, which approximately was Mm $50,000. So when that ransom call, the weird ransom call came in, they apparently requested $50,000 for Sherry, and nobody else knew that except for whoever picked up the phone and investigators. Okay. 
Roger, the man William identified as a presumable accomplice, reportedly died in 2004. Like, I don't know much about him, unfortunately. Yeah, really no information. Like I know. It's not really clear in anything I read that he had, like, that this Robert guy was a suspect either. It was only when William was like, oh, my friend Robert or this guy Robert was involved. And that's the only time that he was really brought up. He could, like, both these men could have always been suspects, but... They both might have had solid alibis at the time. But from my understanding, this is the first I've heard of Robert was when William was talking about it. Gotcha. Is there any chance, have they looked into whether he happened to know anybody that worked at Domino's? Because those two pieces of information, if that's the only information that he gave that wasn't released, both of those pieces of information could have come from employees at Domino's. Very true. The other problem with that is that sometimes the police have, on occasion, given people things to put in their confession so that mm -hmm. they can close a yep. case. Exactly. Both very true points. I don't know if there was any loose lips at Domino's or the police station, but I think those are really good points to bring up because realistically, we don't really know if this is... I. Mm -hmm. It's unfortunate that the case has kind of panned out the way it has because I think if there was anyone consistently from the get-go involved that could say, no, this is exactly how it kind of panned out because now we have this case that's kind of been up and down, on and off for so many decades that it's hard to know whether or not people from the beginning are A, still around or B, if they really kind of kept to themselves because once mm -hmm. again, it's a small town. It, it was a small town at that point in time. Shit, mm -hmm. shit goes around pretty quickly in a small town. Yep. That and do we Can know? What, do we know what was on? We the do. Pizzas? Well, I don't have it written down, but if you give me like two seconds, I can quickly Google it. But I want to say it was like there, it was like some fancy like extreme pizza with like all the toppings on it. I don't remember what it was okay. called, but yeah, that's that's basically what I was wondering at least because like at minimum, if it was like oh we got pepperoni, like Fuck you get yeah. out of here with yeah. that. Like <laughs> we don't take those orders. <laughs> Like, I'm sorry, sir. I could have guessed yeah. that right now. But if it's like a fancy specialty yeah. pizza, that's a little more convincing. Yeah, what <laughs> my understanding, and I didn't include it because I kind of forgot to, I'm mm -hmm. not going to lie. But it's all good. I'm just a curious I person. <laughs> that's a totally good, a fair point to bring up. But it was one of their like specialty pizzas where it was literally like all the toppings. Okay. And that's what all three pizzas apparently were, which is also interesting and that's a lot of that's a lot of food that's a lot of toppings so much acid reflex I so much it. bloating <laughs> so much but, grease yeah so much grease so on december 18th of 2007 william pled guilty to sherry's murder and was sentenced to another life sentence so now homeboys got three life sentences then in 2011 william pleaded guilty to the 1981 murder of terry monroe in which he was given a fourth life sentence. Did he happen to confess to this one too? What? Like, did they get a written confession from this one too? I don't. I don't really know. To be honest, I didn't go down a deep hole with that case in particular. But I wonder if it was one of those situations because near and around like 2010, a lot of the unsolved murder cases in Salem or missing persons, I should also say, um, in Oregon, were being reopened with quote unquote fresh eyes to yeah. kind of try and solve. So somebody's trying to knock some stuff off their lists is what we're yeah. saying here. Yes. 
Yeah. And I mean, it could be very well possible that he is responsible. Yeah. Like, I see it being like, mm-hmm. there's always a 50 yeah. 50 chance, right? But I also just think it's kind of weird that this man who wrote two confessions about the two other murders didn't just lay it all out on the table you know and there could be reasons why you wouldn't do that but to me it just kind of seems weird i i don't know what what do you what do you all think i i at least from what i know of serial killers is they might not tell you who all their victims are or where they are but they like to give numbers yeah oh yeah they like to brag right i don't know Mm -hmm. i'm just a very skeptical person who doesn't trust anyone and also (laughs) and also uh is cynical i want to just blame it all on me but let's be honest i spent a lot of time reading this stuff too so it's not like i'm just a bad person that assumes cops suck but a lot of them would really much rather close a case than actually solve Mm -hmm, it mm -hmm. and so i just tend to doubt things when they conveniently get tied up way later and don't have any physical evidence oh yeah yeah Mm -hmm. i agree and i think that's kind of the vibe possible i was getting off of it It, like it is very possible i mean this william guy not a stand-up citizen at all i'm just gonna put (laughs) that out there homeboy was not a great and is not a great person he's still kicking so oh good yeah lovely but yeah he's he's not you know a model citizen by any shape or form but i think it's just convenient as well kind of to what everybody else has been saying that all of a sudden he's like oh yeah, by the way. I mean, the whole alibi thing with him, though, is interesting. The fact that he's like, oh, I was in Washington. And then they later found out that he was in Salem, Oregon. Like, what? Well, Daryl had nine hours that were true. just missing that he couldn't explain. They're very true. And he had a lime green trunk. Very that true. That he happened to paint eight days after she went missing. Like, there are certainly more yeah. than there are multiple suspects oh, here. Oh, a thousand percent. The one thing, okay, I, the one thing that I always remember that, like, bugs me now anytime that I'm, like, looking into a case anymore that always sticks with me is that one of the people involved with the Innocence Project once said, like, in an interview I was listening to, Right. That the actually innocent people are normally useless when it comes to providing like an actual alibi way after the fact because they don't remember what they were doing because they didn't murder mm, anybody. Right. So well, it wasn't a significant day for them. And I mean, so they're like, true. maybe I went yeah. here? I question mark? I don't and- know. I mean, there's part of me, too, that thought, okay, well, maybe the gap was because he left the campsite. Maybe he was driving around intoxicated, right? Like, there was a potential... It's 4th of July. Yeah, there was potential substance use concerns there from what I read. Yeah, that's a possibility. I was was thinking of that, too. Like, and especially Mm -hmm. when you said he was, like, depressed mm -hmm. and things like that. Like, I could see him having, like, an episode where he just drove around for a while and honestly could not recollect what he did yeah if you're even just like high you might not be able to account for your time yeah. that well after or the even fact sober. you know like hello so- yeah, there's times where i'm just like shit what did i do yesterday <laughs> oh yeah like, what did i <laughs> anybody else ever zone out and then just be like i don't fucking Basically, know where this whole day went <laughs> that's how i get through my job yeah that's my every day. Remember, it's a good thing that I went first to say hello because I would have forgotten until. <laughs> you're just like, later, oh, wait, you're me? just like, wait, someone's like, what'd you do this weekend? And you're like, 
shit, I do not remember. Right? <laughs> and today is Monday. I should know. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't I don't know that I would convict this guy, at least based on the evidence yeah. that we've heard. No, either, and that's either the of thing. Them. Like, there's so many unknowns, and that's why I think Sherry's disappearance and you know potential murder. I would assume, unfortunately, I'm going to put my money that she more than likely was mm-hmm. murdered, given everything we've discussed, and she hasn't shown up for how many years. Um, but it's there's just so much mystery surrounding it that it makes it hard to be like, oh, this happened for sure. You know, we're going to write it in stone that this exactly yeah. happened. It's like, no, you can't do that, right? Um, mm-hmm. So. I did kind of mention earlier on and have been kind of sprinkling this statement throughout this episode that there's a lot of missing and unsolved murder cases in Oregon. Like there is a lot going on there. And so I wanted to kind of discuss a couple of other ones that I kind of came across. According to the uh, according to a UPI article by Tom Towsley and from a Salem Statesman journal. There is the unsolved murder case of Stephanie Ann Newsom. She was 11 years old and she reportedly went missing in April of 1971 after she was delivering newspapers near the former Walker Junior High School. Her lifeless body was found days later near Ann Kenny Hill in which the cause of death was ruled as strangulation. She's 11. That is a huge Mm -hmm. bummer. It gets worse, unfortunately. She was just delivering newspapers. Sleep alone. The next is Danielle Renee Good, who was nine years old. Her remains were found in 1983 near Farmer's Fence after disappearing from her bedroom at home. Uh, Then there was Laurel Ann Wilson, who was 32, and her daughter, Erica Payne, who was nine. They were both found dead in their South Salem home in March of 1982. And last on my list, there's tons more. Like, this is barely scratching the surface. But uh, Patricia Lynn Loganville, who was 21, she was shot to death in November of 1982 at a Salem vet clinic. So according to Murderpedia, local police saw no links between William and other unsolved homicides that had plagued Salem, other than the ones that he's currently serving life sentences for. As far as my understanding, who knows? That could be that could be something that, you know, they're talking about to this day, right? It's hard because, I mean, for example, when it comes to Stephanie Ann Newsom, for example, she died by strangulation. Based on the cases we've talked about today, a lo- all of them died by strangulation, right? However, she doesn't necessarily fit the victim age profile, right? She's really young. Um, but mm-hmm. it- but she was also wandering around by herself mm-hmm. probably early in the morning without mm-hmm. anybody around. Yeah. So it's like there's another opportunity. Well, what year was that, though? 1978. So this was kind of... But... Then that also leads to, you know, there was Danielle Good, who was found near a farmer's fence in 83, Laurel and her daughter Erica, March of 1982. And then in November of 1982, that's when Patricia was shot, right? So Mm -hmm. it's all happening in this weird, like it all could be coincidence. I mean, murders happen every day. People go missing every day. But it's, I mean, I could see why some people would and maybe will think that you know either William or maybe someone else has something to do with it but unfortunately those cases are unsolved and as far as my understanding no one's been convicted for any any of them to kind of summarize this week's case I uh, I warned you all that it was depressing so sorry um we brought some moments of levity 
Yes, we did. We did. Thank God. (laughs) But uh, although William has been connected and convicted for Sherry's death, her body has not been located. As mentioned, this may be due to the notion that William reportedly left Sherry's body near Little Pudding River, which nature's elements may have taken Sherry's body. Like, it's hard for me to say clearly as to what exactly happened. It could have been nature. It could have been a multitude of different things. It may, maybe William's statement didn't even happen. Like, we we just don't know. And that's, I think, the hardest part, right? There's so many unknowns. There's so many theories we could just talk about all day. But at the end of the day, it's her body's still missing. Well, and if it did truly flood, like he, he or somebody said that it did, who knows how far yeah. her body could have traveled. You know what I mean? Like they can, exactly. it can travel miles and, she, you know, she could be somewhere oh, super far away where for sure. maybe she is in mm-hmm. uh, a Jane Doe somewhere and no one knows that Very it's her true. because she's nowhere near where she went missing. You know what I mean? Like there's. Very true. It's actually interesting you brought up the Jane Doe thing because yeah. I didn't even think about that, but that's, that's a, that, that makes sense. Well, and if the water was around for a while. Waterlogged bodies have mm-hmm. a tendency to kind of not stay in one piece. Yeah. Yeah. They usually, what, blow? They, they like blow and kind and of then... break apart. Yeah. So. Yeah. Unfortunately, that could have happened. Like, we just don't know. And mm-hmm. not only that, like, not only that injustice, but it also took tw- over 25 years to actually convict somebody for sherry's murder and it's just you know i know there are there are mysteries out there that we're never going to be able to solve period and i think when it comes to sherry i would like to think that maybe it can be solved someday but realistically we're now in 2022 and because the case has been closed and you know her body's just never been found it just kind of seems as if it's obviously gone to the bottom of the the pole in terms of priority But to me, it just it's that injustice of, okay, but she didn't get a proper burial. Her family and friends didn't get to celebrate her life and didn't maybe get that closure. I mean, this is also coming or or even really know if that's what actually exactly right. And I think that's the hardest part, because, you know, me projecting here, if I was in that situation where I didn't know what happened to my loved one, it would eat me up inside like a thousand percent. I Mm -hmm. I, I don't know if I would be able to handle it. And so I'm just imagining how her friends and family must have felt and not been able to at least have the, that those kind of like traditional moments after someone dies. Like that's got to be really fucking hard. So, you know, it seems that because she wasn't, she hasn't been found, there's still kind of this piece missing. And it's almost kind of seems like there's this void. Like, yes, we have someone that's been convicted for the, the murder, but there's still that one piece that just isn't in the equation anymore. On top of this, we also have to circle back to Daryl, who, as far as my understanding, was later dismissed as being a suspect. Whether he was involved or not, we will never have a firm, concrete answer as to what his narrative of the story was, right? I mean, when I first started doing the research for this case, I was like, oh, it's Daryl. Like, a thousand percent. Mm-hmm. He's got a lime green truck. Mm-hmm. Like, bada bing, bada boom. He was MIA for how many hours? His alibi doesn't really make sense. But even as we're discussing it, between the four of us it's like well shit like maybe he wasn't but we will never know because his life also ended very very abruptly Mm -hmm. right so no matter which way you flip it it just seems like there's some there's all these missing pieces and it just sucks it really like there's no other way to put it it just fucking sucks so when i got into this case i thought okay 
pineapple pizza podcast is coming on this is gonna be fun this is gonna be great and then i got really depressed doing this and i was like well fuck the notes are already done we have to talk about it. and you know I, I think it's one of those cases that is good to talk about despite not having a concrete answer because there's maybe people out there from salem oregon who've never heard of this case that are like oh my gosh this just this took place here what like this is crazy this is insane like i've never heard about this and not only that but if there is anyone who knows information, they can always reach out to the Marion County Sheriff's Police Office at 503-540-8096 and provide any helpful information, whatever they have towards the case, even though it is technically closed. But still, you never know. And that is the mysterious disappearance and unfortunate murder of Sherry Irely. What are your thoughts? Missing cases suck. They always suck. Right? They do. Because it there's never really any true closure. Even if you do know for sure who was involved in making that person missing, if you never find them, there's still always mm-hmm. a question and there's still yeah. always that like you said, that piece that's missing. As petty as it is, my one takeaway is like, shame on you, Domino's. Like, <laughs> I'm still like, <laughs> really, yes. I'm really upset about that. Like, that you would still let a woman go out and make a pizza delivery at 10, at 10 o'clock own. at night on her own yeah. to a dude who like asked for another woman by name. Like, that's just yeah, super sus. But again, 80s, again, hindsight is twenty twenty. Like, yeah but it's mm, what are your thoughts ashley feel like my big takeaway is holy shit do people go missing in oregon (laughs) and also yeah alaska maybe it's just like the whole northwest quadrant maybe i don't want to go there that's what i'm thinking you know what fair that's a lot of missing people i I'm going to shout out Elise from the True Crime Cat Lawyer podcast because I feel like she has a couple of different missing pe- missing persons cases episodes from specifically Oregon. So definitely mm-hmm. go check her out. And for those listening that want to check out the resources that I referenced in today's episode, they will be in the episode notes. But I want to give my lovely guests the opportunity to plug their show because you definitely are going to need a palate cleanser. I just already feel it. I know <laughs> I do. And when I need a palate cleanser, I listen to Pineapple Pizza Podcast. So would one of you lovely ladies like to kind of share where people can tune in, your social media platforms and all of that fun stuff so that they can get the palate cleanser that they they deserve after sticking through this episode? Everywhere but Spreaker. (laughs) (laughs) Emily. Everywhere but Spreaker. Oh my gosh. Technically it's true now. (laughs) Yeah. It is true now. It wasn't true the first (laughs) time she said it. Um, As far as social media, we are not on Facebook, so don't look for us there. Um, We do have a Twitter. We do have an Instagram. Our handle on both is pineapp.com. APP Pizza Pod. I am supposed to run them. I've been an absentee parent lately because my life has been on fire, <laughs> as you can tell from the dogs in the background. If literally every moment that I haven't been on mute, but I will be back soon, hopefully, if I ever find all of the marbles I lost. Excellent, because we miss you. <laughs> mm-hmm. We miss you on social media, and I just want to say. 
thank you all so much for agreeing to join on, even though I told you multiple times that I picked a really dark case and it's really <laughs> depressing and you still showed up and you still are still on this call. So I really appreciate it. And I look forward to a day when we can all meet and have our mac and cheese and Robert Slack slumber party. I think that oh, would be, gosh. we're going yes. to, we have to, we have to like pajama yeah, party yes. at my place oh, eventually. eventually yes i am <laughs> there you go down it's because we love oh my gosh you did my bet and i'm so happy thank you <laughs> <laughs> it is because we love you and also some of us are masochists <laughs> like having our day messed up <laughs> my theory is that if you're already depressed you don't gotta get depressed am i right <laughs> Oh, yeah. I'm already down here in the dark. Join me. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, thanks again. And as always, if you need a distraction, we, including the Pineapple Pizza Podcast Gals, have got you. Bye. 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 If you've enjoyed today's Weird Distraction episode, consider telling your friends, family, coworkers, or really anyone else who will listen to you. You can tell them to find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Good Pods, Podchaser, and more. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Good Pods, please consider leaving a rating or review. On Spotify, you can also leave us a five-star rating as well. This helps get us a little bit more attention to our weird little show. And this is kind of the best way to support the show for free. Another way to support the show for free and to make sure you never miss an update is to follow us on our social media platforms. We're on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok. Just simply search for Weird Distractions Podcast or on Twitter, our handle is WeirdDistractI1. If you're wanting more Weird Distractions and want to support the show financially, consider joining one of our two tiers over on Patreon. Both tiers currently get early access, ad-free episodes, and monthly bonus episodes. You can find out more by going to patreon.com slash weird distractions podcast shout out to our current patrons tom bailey angela john alicia lynn sissy shadow courtney and cheryl we appreciate you and we love you just head on over to redbubble's website and look up weird distractions podcast you can also make a one-time donation over on buy me a coffee which you can find that link in our social media bios lastly we love to hear from our listeners we're always collecting your weird tales of true crime, paranormal encounters, and any other experience that made you think, hmm, that was weird. We've released some listener distraction episodes already, and we'd love to keep the series going. You can email us at weirddistractionspodcast at outlook.com. If you do email us, make sure that you let us know whether you want us to say your name or keep your story anonymous. And you can also email us any corrections that need to be made after today's episode. Thanks for listening. I am never going to be the same again. And I thought he was going to kill me. And he did do things, you know, because I like true crime as well. And he did do things that serial killers do. And he has, you know, a collection of his victims. And I am in there. It's disturbing to think about. They say that if you mess with the bull. But I did feel uncomfortable. Yes, something about his presence just did not sit right, and I just couldn't pinpoint, like, what exactly was wrong with him yet. You get the horns.
But if you mess with the queen bee? It's 41 physical victims. And then there's all the victims that he swindled out of money. There's the ones that, you know, he sent unsolicited pictures to. There's the ones that he stalked. There's so many others that he's harassed or creeped on online or tried to lure. And just so many of us. You get the hive. Join me, Courtney. And me, Amanda, for a special three-part series coming in May. You know, it's hard to prepare myself for, like, who could ever imagine being in this position? You know, anyone who's ever been in my shoes before, like, I just want to hug them because it is so hard. Like, you know, the stories, they get worse and worse, you know? And we had one the other day where it was super disturbing, a lot of these stories are. And I wouldn't be surprised if he killed someone. We will be interviewing victims of a serial rapist and bringing awareness to this, as well as joined by other podcasts for reenactments. We will be diving into narcissism, giving you tips on what to watch for, and firsthand accounts. Because I her down so good, now she's obsessed, dude. She doesn't want anybody else to have me. She doesn't want anybody else. It's her life goal to never let anybody or anybody ever again. That's her goal. She's obsessed. This series will not be for the faint of heart. A Nefarious Nightmare presents Minding the Beehive, Surviving a Serial Rapist. This shit should not be okay in 2022. Like pedophilia, rape, like all the uncomfortable things that nobody wants to talk about. There are people walking free, getting away with every day. Like, because of the way our system is and something needs to change. It's it's not okay. Part one of this series available May 10th, 2022, wherever you get your podcasts. Remember, always mind the bees.